from Bristol, UK. I'm Pomi Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantini. We've been bringing you this podcast every week since April to keep your spirits up. Every episode, we bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, creative ideas for the future, an in-depth interview, and maybe a dash of the unexpected. To start with, a big thank you to Seb Gutierrez and the Old Bones Collective for that beautiful opening music, Hot Flu. Hello and welcome back. Today's show is all about the NHS. Yes, we've got some voices from a protest, an interview and a trailer. And we've got some poetry. So we're going to start off with voices from NHS workers. A month ago, I went to their latest protest march here in Bristol. They are demanding a pay rise, obviously because of the critical COVID circumstances. The government hasn't been listening. While I was there, I met with many nurses, including Alex Oldham and Shannon O'Sullivan. Here is what they had to say. Thank you so much for turning up today. My name's Alex Oldham and I am a committee member for the NHS Workers Say No Bristol Group. And we're marching against pay inequality within the NHS. The NHS workers have been left out of a recent public sector pay rise. Um, we know that nurses are more than £6,000 worse off than they were 10 years ago. Uh, that's approximately about 7.2% on average. Um, so we're basically um, marching against that um, to make sure that the government give us a pay rise, one that we deserve. NHS workers have sacrificed a lot over the pandemic and over the course of um, what's happening with coronavirus. So that's what we're marching for. Do we not deserve a 15% pay rise? Do we not deserve to get to the end of the month without having to borrow money because over 10 years our wage hasn't matched inflation? We live in a country that can afford to help its citizens. We can afford to raise living standards. We can afford to keep the NHS going. We can afford the NHS 15% pay rise. They are among the people who are ultimately responsible for the failure with PPE, the failure with testing, the failure with track and trace, the failure to protect NHS staff when it matters. And now they fail yet again to reward us for our sacrifice. Can you cope? Well, no, not really, but there's no staff and we're going to have to just try. Junior nurses expected to step up be in charge when it's above their competency and confidence, yet they're the most senior or only substantive member of staff on shift, crying with families because their relatives have passed away. We walk into the staff room and we cry. Not for too long though, because we're already short-staffed, so we splash our face with water and we get straight back to work. not just doctors and nurses there's loads of other people that keep the nhs running and that's what we've seen from the pandemic and some of these people are just about paid minimum wage and that's really just not good enough and actually now we're a group of 83,000 people and we only started six weeks ago so they're going to have to listen to us eventually and that's why we're taking to the streets on saturday do you think people are prepared to go on strike yes as a society what do we value If you're left or right, deep down inside, what do you value? For me personally, I value safety. I want my family to be looked after in their time of need. 
I value a second chance if I mess up and to receive non-judgmental care for those looking after me. There are 100,000 vacancies across the NHS right now. What other organisation would you expect to function with 100,000 people missing? Yes. We can't do that. Yes. And that's one of the reasons, OK, yes, if we need to do one day of strike, <laughs> if we need to do one day of strike so that we can have the proper investment in recruitment and retention and, you know, making working in the NHS, you know, a national treasure to be something that people aspire to. And Pommy, to know more about the history of the NHS, I thought I'd like to talk to the Migration Museum in London. You know why? It's because they are currently having an amazing online exhibition about the history of the health service in the UK and especially how it's linked to migration. The clue is in the name, right? The Migration Museum. Sounds really interesting. I really want to have a look at that. But before we hear from them... Here is a trailer introducing the exhibition. They know us, they take care of us. Often they are the first and the last people we see. Sometimes they know us more intimately than we know ourselves. And yet often we know very little about them. Who is the doctor behind the face mask? Who's the person behind the uniform? Right from the beginning, people have come from all over the world to work in the NHS. They've made its vision come true. Many were here already. They came from Ireland and from Central Europe. Some were refugees from Nazism, leaving everything they had behind them. Many more were recruited from Britain's former colonies. Nurses from the Caribbean, doctors from the Indian subcontinent and Africa. When there were staff shortages again and again, international workers answered the call. Some escaped war zones, some came in search of love, some for adventure or opportunity. They overcame great barriers. Many were told they weren't good enough, they should wait for their time or go back to where they came from. Some were sent to areas that British-born doctors and nurses didn't want to go, to do jobs that others didn't want to do. Yet they persisted as surgeons, nurses, family GPs, carers, cleaners, porters, caterers, researchers, caring for others, saving lives, and creating a life for themselves in Britain, falling in love, getting involved in their communities, having children, creating new generations following in their parents' footsteps, working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic alongside colleagues from around the world. This is the story of the NHS. This is our story. So the whole exhibition is online on their website, Migration Museum, and I've reached out to the lovely Robin Casozzi. She's the head of public engagement at the Migration Museum. And I wanted to know more about how this exhibition came about, especially in the middle of a pandemic, and what they wanted to achieve. Here she is. 
We always had planned and, and continue to plan to have a physical exhibition on the NHS in 2023 to mark the 75th anniversary of the NHS. But then obviously with the pandemic and kind of the nation's attention being on the NHS, it really emphasised kind of the centrality of it as an institution for Britain and how much we rely on it. And actually, and it also kind of brought into focus that actually there's so many staff that work for the NHS that are migrants. And we thought actually this feels like the perfect moment whilst people's attention's on it, to really explore the experiences of some of these people and also to do so in their own voices. The kind of the humans behind the NHS were really in the spotlight with the clapping for carers and all of that. So we thought, what a brilliant time to explore this and what a brilliant time to do so kind of digitally. And our hope is as well that we can continue to gather stories between now and 2023 and they'll feed into the, to the exhibition. That's one of the interesting points at the moment is like so many people care about the NHS as an organisation, but on the other side, you have all this narrative about migration that is not going so well in in Europe in general, not to blame the UK specifically. Mm. How did you start that work? Did you get people testimony or was it a historical approach, personal stories or much more of? Well, we really just wanted to get kind of a rounded sense of people's lives. So often when people work for the NHS, they become the workers. And we see that as well when we look at migration so much. People become the immigrants. We don't actually see kind of their interests, their passions, their family life, their personal stories, um, what do they do outside of work. And so we really wanted to kind of reach out and to tell these kind of personal stories. And that is so much of what we do at the Migration Museum is, is to tell these personal stories. Our head of creative content, who uh, Aditi, who curated the exhibition, she kind of reached out and collected oral histories, works with artists to kind of interpret the moment. But also there was kind of things already being done around the NHS at this time. So for example, the photographer Rankin had done a series on NHS workers on the front line. So he works with him and his images are featured in the exhibition. And also, of course, the NHS at 70 collected some incredible oral histories. So they also feature in the exhibition. So it really is a multimedia exhibition. You can listen, explore, watch had a sense of that going through the website. It's really nice. Can you take us through briefly the different kind of waves of migration? Because I think people tend to forget, but obviously the NHS was born just after the great World War II. And then it has a huge impact from the the fact that the Britain had an empire. And then more recently, probably mm. the European Union. So do you go yeah. through the stages? Yeah, we do. So the curators really managed to capture the feeling of a physical exhibition when you walk into a room and then there's the opportunity to kind of explore over here and go off into that room where you can go off into that room. And there really is that sense of that kind of freedom to move around the space as you wish. So it goes through a series of chapters. So we start with on the front line, looking at the kind of COVID-19 pandemic and, and the front line workers. And then we move into the birth of the NHS. And as you mentioned, this kind of gives a bit of context of World War II and but also outlines that actually even prior to World War II there were many medical migrants in the UK which I think is something that's often missed and then we look at arrival and that really does touch on some of the the many people that were recruited from the Commonwealth and from Britain's former empire and these recruitment drives which literally almost kind of set up a pipeline of people to come to the UK often leaving behind the medical systems in their own country Um, and also on arriving in the UK not being treated with the same respect and in many cases being just treated with discrimination and racism as to their qualifications. And actually that's kind of a theme that runs throughout the exhibition. 
and that discrimination, although in many cases less overt, continues all the way through to the stories of present day. And in fact, is a key theme in our looking to the future, our final chapter, is how will the NHS manage the racism within the institution? So moving on from there, we look at on the job and the experiences of people as they're kind of working in the job. And then we go to making a life in Britain. Uh, I think that's probably my, personally, my favourite chapter because we really tease out some of these personal stories. There's a wonderful story from Alison Williams. She came over as a nurse and she talks about meeting her partner and how they used to, he was one of the early um, musicians played in carnival and how they used to create the, they have these incredible carnival costumes and she shows some of the costumes that she used to wear. And it's just, um, yeah, it's brilliant. And then we, and then we move on to looking to the future. That's extraordinary. Also, obviously it's Black History Month, so there's also some Mm. commonalities with that. So it's great you mentioned the carnivals. Yeah, there's some wonderful stories of Black migrants that have come to the NHS so as I mentioned, we can you can kind of dip out and go into explore into different rooms. If you choose to explore in, into the top, we have a timeline of medical migrants, which goes back before the NHS. And if you choose to explore in that area, there's a number of incredible migrants. Mary Seacole, obviously, always comes up during Black History Month. There's a few other nurses. There was Annie Brewster, who was known as the nurse ophthalmic, I think, who was a black nurse who was one of the first recorded nurses to be working in London. And I believe that was in the 1600s. 1800s. Really? And so that's, I, th- I guess that's what people are very touched about. My sister is a doctor as well. And uh, there's a bit of a mystery about, you know, this incredibly difficult life. But most of the time they wouldn't share too much on the details because there's privacy of the patients, of course, but also because it's incredible how NHS staff or medical staff in general mm. never complain. They're very mm. quiet and together. So what did you think you learned from them? Sort of moral ability and, you know, this sense of care. I mean, there's some uh, very technical companies become really, really rich. And then we struggle to pay the nurses just a fair amount for them to live properly, especially like in places like London or here in Bristol. So I guess this is sort of like moral um, strength that is at mm. value. So were you, were you impressed by this immersion into a world that is kind of like most of the time hidden from us? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things that um, struck me the most, I would say, or the word that springs to mind is resilience, just ongoing resilience. And I think that that for me is kind of one of the, the key themes of the exhibition. There was a, a midwife called Claudia who's on the front line, who's been working on the front line during COVID and she talks about actually midwifery it's a joyful thing and even though we're in these times it's scary but you know what she wakes up in the morning she puts a bit of lipstick on she puts her mask on she says the lipstick doesn't last very long with the mask but she puts it on and she goes to work and I think even so stories like that all the way back through to Alison's story so uh, Alison came over during the 60s but all the way back through to Alison's story who talks about how when she was seeing patients sometimes they'd say oh I don't want you to touch me I don't want your black to rub off on me. And really horrendously racist things, the discrimination and the racism that was faced. But still this kind of drive to, to care for people, to help through work in the NHS. It just really sticks out for me. So yeah, I would say resilience. That's brilliant. That's very inspiring. Thank you so much for taking us through this exhibition. It feels it comes alive through your words. So anything you would like to add on the details? So there's two key things I want to add. The first is that this is an evolving exhibition. Um, and we would love to hear the migration stories of our audience in the NHS. There is the submit your story button. 
Kevin at the bottom. It's super easy to submit your story. So I would really encourage people to do that because whilst we've tried to reach far and wide and across the country and, and gain stories from migrants from all over the world, obviously it's not been completely possible. So that would be brilliant. And the other thing is we have a playlist. We have a migration in the making of the NHS playlist on Spotify and it features tracks that have been shared by some of the contributors as well. So give that a listen. It's a really feel good playlist. I like to have it on the background. Oh, wonderful. I definitely do that. You made my day. Thank you so much for doing it. That was the lovely and super kind and knowledgeable Robin Kasobi, Head of Public Engagement at the Migration Museum in London. And if you go online and Google the Migration Museum, you can see the exhibition free. Right, it's time for a weekly roundup of good news. And starting in Bristol, the fabulous Popoli Theatre Company has come up with an ingenious way to entertain us all online with a number of 10-minute shows running online for two weeks starting October the 19th. It's called Press Play and we are asked to press play and forget about the COVID world outside. The first one is called You Give Me Butterflies and it lets us into a world of 847 Skype conversations between two women who have never met. Another one, Half Acre, invites us to take up space on a park bench and Feast is one that you listen to in your kitchen through your headphones and you can receive a sprinkling of Gaelic magic. And finally, Mirror asks you to listen while looking at yourself in the mirror intriguing all of them I think and I can't wait to see them they all last exactly 10 minutes and if you google press play popoli.com which is spelt p-o-p-e-l-e-i you'll be able to register for free sounds so interesting for me I'll definitely gonna have to give that a go right um another good news for me according to me is that the UK is finally to investigate whether musicians are paid fairly. Well, obviously according to me they are not by those platforms but they are going to investigate how platforms pay musicians and how we could bring them to improve this system. So we we don't want to name all of them, but obviously Spotify or Apple Music. So as you know, music streaming platforms offer unfettered access to millions of songs for less than £10 a month to the subscribers. So they have long been questioning, and many bands admit that they make only a pittance from services like the one I mentioned, especially Spotify. Now MPs are to launch an investigation to find out if that is enough. And obviously with the current crisis, we hope that this can be improved. It all came from Julian Knight, an MP, who will lead the investigation. And he said that the growth of the streaming markets cannot come at the expense of the talented and lesser known artist. This inquiry is set to launch in November, a news that was welcomed by the Musicians' Union, which had launched a petition calling for this review. And this is a group of organisations wanting to get together to find a way that we can have live events safely. The initial proposal that they have is to hold a live music event for 100 people. All attendees, performers and staff will be tested prior to admittance and after arriving at the venue, along with their temperature check and sanitising procedures. They're going to work with a company that will be able to produce rapid tests 
This will mean people can enter the venue, enjoy the show without the need for social distancing or having masks. And they think that this will signal the beginning of a return to normality. So it's really, really required for the entertainment business. Once they've completed a successful test event and the method has been proved to work, the next stage is to scale it up to a thousand people using the same method. And they're going to open it up to other events such as comedy, theatre, opera, etc. That's really good news, isn't it? I just really hope that works and they get the rapid testing to be good enough for people to feel like it's safe. Great. Yeah, of course. I mean, you would think that um, local local governments or national government would come up with that. But if it does work, well, well done to these people because they could save both so mental health, lacking good quality entertainment and those wonderful industries that we all want to support. So to find out more, Google hashtag we are viable. Great. And then before we end this list, um, far away from here in America, some cities seems ready for basic income for me. You know, I'm a bit of an advisor for basic income. And where else than San Francisco to start with? So a cohort of more than 100 San Francisco-based artists will be given $1,000 a month as part of the city's economic recovery task force. The mayor, London Brid, announced that last week. The president of a board of supervisors has convened the task force in early April to bring together leaders from the city businesses, cultural, education, labor and non-profit organization to think about this. And they produce a report that was issued at the final meeting outlined outlining policy recommendation for actionable ways to aid those most affected by the COVID-19 pandemic in a city projecting a budget deficit of more than a billion and a half dollars. But this policy is billed as the basic income pilot for artists and it includes directing almost six million dollars in funding to arts organization, artists, art teachers and cultural workers in addition to a universal basic income program. So under the basic income, um, as I said, about 100 artists will be selected to receive this monthly stipend to start with for at least six months beginning early 2021. And then if it works, this scheme could be extended to more people. So with what you just described, that could be the solution for it even months of pandemic, right? Supporting the artists on one side and supporting the venues on the other side. And hopefully some people will get inspired. As we mentioned before in Germany, they've started a, a scheme of um, implementation of the basic income as well. Hopefully people here in the UK will follow. And if you want to know more about universal basic income, you, Melissa, interviewed Guy Standing, didn't you, a little while ago? in a previous podcast. That's a great interview we had with Guy Standing. Thank you so much again to him for taking the time. And don't hesitate to check him online. He's got a lot of talks on YouTube about why a basic income is um, the way forward to replace all the schemes to support the most vulnerable and could be a much simpler system that costs less and is it would be tremendously efficient in this in this crazy times we're living. Now, Melissa, we promised poetry, didn't we? So I found 
a book called These Are the Hands. I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast as well. This is poems from the heart of the NHS. Uh, If you want to get it, you'd be donating to the NHS. And it's got a forward by Michael Rosen, who himself contracted COVID and was quite ill with it, wasn't he? But he's, he's recovering now. So I'm going to read you two poems. The first one is by a consultant respiratory physician called Katrina Curtis, and it's called Donning My Stethoscope. It is part of my body, an extension, a cherished object whose raspberry pink colour makes me smile inside, functional yet loved. My badge, my introduction with no words, my constant companion, As I place it around my neck, levelling the sides, hearing the click-clack of the metal arms touching, feeling its wear through the years, the innumerable bodies it has touched, it is the final piece of my costume. I take a deep breath as the day begins, unsure what it will hold. Ready, set, go. The door opens. Great, brilliant, I love it. And then the second poem is by a domestic assistant called Ashley Condon, and it's called In This Room. In this room, there's a floor to clean. It is blooded and stained, and there's a rumpled bedsheet. In this room, I mop up the blood, swap out the sheet, and hope it never happens to me. In this room, I wonder who she is, this woman who lost the life she carried and bled for her trouble. In this room, I open the blinds, let in the light, sit in the corner chair, try and feel her pain. In this room, in nine years' time, I am this woman, and I am still not prepared. Oh, so lovely. Those people, they have so many talents. I'm totally in awe with energy workers. Thank you, Pumi, for those wonderful lines well those are two poems and there's literally hundreds of poems in this book it's wonderful it's called these are the hands poems from the heart of the nhs and it's published by fair acre press and all proceeds go to nhs charities together right to finish off to finish off we're going to play you a homage to the nhs it's a cover of sos by abba and it was posted by a group of friends on youtube During these troubled days, hope can be hard to find I try to reach for you, but you're six feet behind What is this light that shines so bright? It cuts right through the dark It's been here all along, it is this country's heart Clap your hands, we sing out loud and thank the NHS They are the bravest every day, they save us NHS Thanks to you, thanks to you, we know we'll make it through You're the best, yes we do, we love you Why we all stay safe at home 
They give us hope with them, we know we're not alone. They'll guide us through our darkest night, they'll never let us down. They risk their lives for us, they make the nation proud. Clap your hands, we sing out loud and thank the NHS They are the bravest every day, they save us NHS Thanks to you, thanks to you, we know we'll make it through You're the best, yes we do, we love you NHS You shine right through the dark You never let us down You are this country's heart That's it for the quarantine this week. We'll be back next time with a new cocktail of ideas, music and positive news for you all. In the meantime, we'd really love to hear from you and you can get hold of us by emailing us, for instance thequarantinepodcast at gmail.com and you can also find us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram This episode was hosted by me Melissa Shaman and was hosted and produced by me Pommy Harmer Thank you so much for listening and stay safe You're the best Yes we do We love you NHS